It is time to go deeper in God's Word. It's time to engage in truth. Here is Dr. Steve Ford and Pastor John Bornsheen. Well, hello, everybody. Welcome back to Engage in Truth. This is John Bornsheen. I'm a senior pastor of Calvary Fellowship, Fountain Valley Church, right here at Colorado Springs. And I'm excited that you're tuning in again today. We are continuing in our study of Israel in prophecy. Now, over the last few weeks, we've been talking a great deal about setting the stage for this conversation because there is a lot of misinformation out there. Uh, uh, one that has led to this replacement theology is as if the church had somehow replaced Israel and all the promises that God had laid out of what he was going to do with his people. And yes, the Christians are also his people, but we see that beautiful uh, blending and plan of God that's unfolded for us there in Romans chapter 11. And of course, it's throughout Scripture. It's not just designated to one chapter. This is something that really encompasses throughout the Bible, especially in Isaiah. So it's never a reactive plan of God to bring the Gentiles into his plan, to give them a hope and a future, to graft them in even to the inheritance, the promises that were given to Abraham. And we see that outlined so clearly in Romans chapter 11 that there would be a time for the restoration of all the broken branches of Israel, that God was going to do a great work, that Israel would be saved. And so we bask in that goodness to understand then that the prophecies that are outlined in Scripture have a designated time. There is a, a timetable that God is working through in his perfect timing to accomplish everything that he has promised that he will do. And I believe that Scripture is very clear on this matter, that as you look at the menorah, and you see the seven candle labras that are there. There are, there are seven candles that are on a true menorah that the three, the first three, Passover, Feast of Unleavened Bread, and the Feast of First Fruits all pointed to the first coming of Jesus Christ. The middle candle, the central stand that, of course, is Christ, and, and we see the sevenfold work of the Holy Spirit, the ministry of the Holy Spirit, but that center one is ultimately then the church age. And we celebrate that with Pentecost, and we did that not too long ago, in fact, the Feast of Weeks, as it was called scripturally. And then we have three more feasts to come, and that's the Feast of Trumpets, the Day of Atonement, and the Feast of Tabernacles, and all three of those point to Christ's second coming. In fact, Jesus Christ is revealed all through the scriptures. Where Christ may be concealed in the Old Testament, he's there. There are many Christophanies and many illustrations and points, even with Joshua leading the people into the promised land. And you see that nicely correlates with Revelation. And then you have the book of Daniel. And Daniel is to the Old Testament what the Revelation is to the New Testament. And it's all one cohesive thought, as we'd expect from God's holy word. And then what we find throughout all of this is, is the fact that these prophecies are so woven throughout Scripture, they happen exactly as God has appointed for the 6,000-year plan. This candelabra then symbolized a 6,000-year plan with the 7,000 years, 1,000 on the end being a 1,000-year Sabbath of Jesus Christ's reign on this earth. So often I'm asked, well, how close are we then to the fulfillment of the 6,000 years before the coming of Jesus Christ? 
and I'm going to let you find that out on your own. It's actually quite clear in Scripture. The only thing that's not clear to us is how long Adam was in the garden before he fell. But you can add from Adam all the way up to the current era, and you can actually find that Scripture is very revealing of so-and-so begot so-and-so all the way from the time of Adam all the way to the current age. Now, of course, Scripture's last text that was given to us is the book of Revelation, written around 90 AD. So, of course, you have to add with our Gregorian calendar and take into account the fact that we don't operate on the same calendar as the Bible. The Bible still has a 360 lunar calendar, so you have to take that into account as well. But when you add all that up, it's getting very close to the return of Jesus Christ. I think everyone out there can nod an agreement to that, that if we believe in the 6,000-year plan that God has been working through the kingdoms of men, doing his holy purposes, raising up kings, taking them down, all because it points to Jesus Christ, his first coming and his second coming, because all of time revolves around Christ. And it's all coming to a conclusion very soon. So therefore, we implore you, brothers and sisters, to be faithful, giving the gospel message with every opportunity that is before you. And for those of you who are listening who don't know Jesus Christ, now is your time to give your life to Jesus Christ, to confess his name, according to Romans 10, that if we confess his name and believe that God raised him from the dead, that we submit under his total authority in our lives, and then we are branches, if you will, that are grafted into the vine, that he is the vine, i.e. Jesus Christ, and we are his branches. We become fruit bearers in this world. We now live in faithful service to Jesus Christ, who is our king, because now we are transformed. We become new creatures in Jesus Christ, new creations in him. The old man has gone away. The new has come, and now we boldly declare him. And we become light in the dark places. A lot of beautiful imagery in that. It's always been about Jesus Christ, and he is coming again soon. And the reason why we can trust the Bible, in fact, is that he gives us so many prophecies that all came to pass exactly as they were foretold. Now, we talked about this a couple weeks ago, two, three weeks ago, in fact, about the number of prophecies. And this is important to understand when we talk about Israel in prophecy, because in total, there's about 2,400 to 2,500 prophecies in the Bible. And as many as 2,000 of those have already been fulfilled. That leaves about four to 500 prophecies that are yet to come. And now we can also even take some of those prophecies. Uh, Dr. Harold Wilmington of Liberty University, in fact, was able to isolate the fact that there are 416 biblical prophecies that had a specific timeline attached to those, and every single one of them were fulfilled. There were 355 prophecies that had been given in the Old Covenant of Christ's coming, his first coming. And 1,845 declarations of Christ's rule on the earth in the Old Testament alone. So throughout the scriptures, we find 8,000, listen, 8,362 predictive verses. Okay, that's astonishing. The thought that you could even make a declaration about a future event, say you gave five of those and they all came to pass, the number would be astronomical of the odds that that would actually come to pass. And here the Bible 
is so confident as the Word of God, infallible, inerrant. It is sharper than a two-edged sword because Jesus Christ is the Word. And here we then find 8,362 predictive statements on 737 separate matters. So through 17 books of the Old Testament that were given prominence of what we call them to be books of prophecy, they all give prominence to Jesus Christ's coming rule. And out of the 216 chapters of the New Testament, there are 318 references alone to his second coming. That means 23 out of the 27 books of the New Testament all talk about Jesus' second coming. Okay, so this is quite the theme throughout the Bible. Now, you can't then lean on allegorical concepts. This has to be definitive because that's what qualified a prophecy. And Jesus Christ spoke about that. In fact, he gave those same qualifications to prophets of old, that they would prophesy of something that was in a near uh, timeline. So something that was very close and a very future reality, but yet something that would happen close at hand. Therefore, they could qualify the prophet, but simultaneously the prophet would give a declaration of something at a much further distance. In fact, something so far out in the future, those whom he was speaking to in that present time would probably not be alive to see it. It was something that a future generation would see to come past. But that's the point, is that we can then qualify that prophet because something they said early on came to pass exactly as they had foretold. Therefore, we can hold them in account that we can qualify them as a prophet saying, okay, now whatever they had declared of a future event will also come to pass as it was declared of old. And so this happens frequently throughout the scriptures to qualify the prophets of God. And now one thing that we always take from this is that there are a number of prophecies that revolve around Israel, especially in the latter days, and that is a sequence of events that set up the coming of Jesus Christ, his second Coming. Now, what happens in our studies of end time eschatology, that's what we call that, is that there are a number of camps out there that leaned on this idea of replacement theology, and they justify that because they have more of an amillennial preterist view of eschatology. Now, what I mean by that, those who have a preterist view, they take the, this they, whole study of the book of Revelation. And they suggest that almost all of it is already completed, that around 70 A.D., that all came to pass at the destruction of Jerusalem, especially the destruction of the temple. And then Christians therein afterwards went into great persecution under at least 10 emperors of Rome, especially under Nero. And we know how that plays out. So what they look at it is, well, that is the fulfillment of what John saw by way of Jesus Christ's revelation to him that was captured in the book that we call the book of Revelation. Well, the problem with that is you have to ignore so many prophecies, not just those that are revealed to us in the book of Revelation, but throughout the 18 prophetic books of the Bible. In fact, even those spoken by Jesus at the Mount of Olives and the Olivet Discourse. So there's so many prophecies that really speak to a 
final week, that revealed to us in Daniel chapter 9 that we call the tribulation period. The first half of that is a tribulation. The second half is the great tribulation. And it is called the time of Jacob's distress, if you will, of Jacob's mourning. And there's a number of ways to look at that particular interpretation, but it is about Israel. It's all about Israel in this final work and bringing Israel to accept their Messiah. They will celebrate the coming of their Messiah. They will be redeemed, the branches restored. Now, mind you, that doesn't mean every single person of the tribes of Israel, but certainly every tribe will be saved. And then we see that Ezekiel, and the wonderful work as we go to the end of the book of Ezekiel and you start to break out the, uh, the, the wonderful fulfillment from Ezekiel chapter 40 on all the way through chapter 48. And you see this plan of God unfold for the millennial kingdom and even the disbursement of the land back to the people of Israel. All of these horrible sequence of events that take place during the tribulation must come to pass In order for that to happen, in order for the millennial reign of Christ to begin, these prophecies must happen. So in about 11 minutes, let me now try to take your attention to the fact that, one, we have already said that we have a proper dispensation of a future sequence of events that must occur in the nation of Israel that will see these things unfold before our eyes. Well, hopefully not for the church, because I do believe in a pre-tribulational rapture in which the Lord will harpazo take away his church, the glorious hope. So maybe we're viewing from heaven. I doubt it. We'll probably keep our eyes so fixated on Jesus, we'll just be worshiping him, and then suddenly the end has come. Uh, But for those who are on earth, there will be a final week that Daniel gives us an outline of, this final seven-year period of time. And so we need to keep our eyes on Israel. This is There's no time here for a preterist view or an amillennial view as though this has all happened and now we're just waiting for Jesus to come. No, we know that this final week must occur a final seven-year period of time and the earth will go through great distress unlike any other time in human history and it all revolves around Israel. So the theme here is keep your eyes on Israel. In fact, Chuck Missler often said, if you want to know where we are on God's world clock, Look at what happens in Israel. So whatever's happening in Israel, that, that's your barometer, right? It's the capital of the world there in Jerusalem. Personally, I believe the Garden of Eden actually was in Jerusalem and the Eastern Gate there. And we see a lot of parallels, a lot of correlation even to the temple structure that it might have been the original temple there that Adam was the caretaker of. So it's quite possible that it all began there. It's all going to end there. So the Bible says Israel will be scattered around the world. But after 2000 years, she would be returned to her homeland. Now, if you think about that, what the Bible then describes is the gathering of a worldwide dispersion that would begin. And over a sequence of events in time, Israel would be regathered to its, its homeland, if you will. Now, that is impartial because even after the millennial or during the millennial reign of Christ, I should say, and after the tribulation period, we see that even from all the nations, those of the tribes of Israel will still be coming back. But we find that the Bible said specifically that Israel would become a nation in a single day, according to Isaiah 66, 8, and that happened exactly as prophesied, May 14th. 1948, that happened. And we also read scripturally, let me give you some uh, text here, that as this gathering of worldwide dispersion would occur, we start to see that unveiled for us in Jeremiah chapter 30 
Ezekiel 34 and 36 and 37, even 38 and 39, all talk about this. Uh, Micah chapter 5, Zechariah 8, Isaiah 43, amongst many others. Israel would then become united, not separate kingdoms. We see that in Ezekiel 36 and chapter 37. Isaiah 66 also covers that amongst many others. The Bible says that when Israel returned, she would regain her language, and she did. Isaiah 19, 18, and Zephaniah 3, verse 9. The Bible says that when Israel returned, she would have two arch enemies, specifically Gog and even Persia. We see Gog, if that's represented as Russia and Iran, of course, they are enemies of Israel. Ezekiel 38, verses 3 to 5. The Bible says that after the rapture, Israel will rebuild their temple and go back to blood sacrifices. They're already talking about doing that. We've talked about that on this broadcast before. Uh, The red heifer, the fact that uh, even just outside of Jericho, there's a plateau there. They're starting to rebuild a model of the temple so that the uh, those priests and priestly duties could be practiced inside that replica to get ready for what many different groups are trying to push for a new temple to be built. Maybe it's right there in the city of David. Maybe it's right alongside the Al-Aqsa Mosque. We don't know uh, exactly where that will look. There's a lot of speculation and a lot of discussion, and certainly the momentum keeps picking up after the Abrahamic family house was recently established and built there in the Middle East. And they built a, a, a facility for the worship of the Jews, for the Catholics, and the Muslims all in the same complex. There's been talk about recreating that even in Israel. So there's a lot of talk, been a lot of talk, but there's certainly a lot of momentum toward this of rebuilding the temple. How would you do that on the Temple Mount without creating war? Now, so someone has to broker a peace treaty to make that possible. That's where the Antichrist comes in. We'll see that during that seven-year period of time, 144,000 witnesses, Israeli witnesses, will be sealed. And this is before Jesus gathers uh, all of them together, right? So the 144,000 go out to, to, to go to each of the tribes to witness to them, to give them the truth. So it's a powerful moment there. Uh, we have Israel isolated and devastated. Many prophets, prophecies to that effect that all the nations will turn against Israel, according to Zechariah chapter 12, Psalm 83, and Daniel chapter 11. Judgment will then be declared against those nations that turn against Israel, Isaiah 13, all the way to chapter 23. All of Israel's allies will abandon her, according to Jeremiah 30, verse 14. And Jerusalem, a cup of reeling for surrounding nations, Judah and Jerusalem, will be besieged, according to Zechariah chapter 12. Uh, Jerusalem and Israel will be devastated. Uh, Israel and Jerusalem will be surrounded. There will be slaughter in Israel. Israelis will be killed or taken prisoner to all nations. In fact, there's some who speculate that Israelis will flee to Edom, to Petra, perhaps, as we see in Isaiah chapter 63 in Revelation 12 and Daniel 11. Jerusalem will then be trampled for 42 months after the peace agreement is broken by the Antichrist, as he declares himself to be God, and for 42 months, Jerusalem will be trampled, and there will be two witnesses in the city of Jerusalem. That's 1,260 days. You'll see that in Revelation chapter 11. And then we find that there's still amazing number of prophecies of what happens when Jesus Christ comes. He returns 
to the Mount of Olives. And when he does, the mountain will be split in two and he will fight for Israel. He will fight for those who have now been persecuted. The nations are rallying against her. The Antichrist has desecrated this reconstructed temple. He has declared himself to be God. He has been persecuting the people of Israel. All the nations have turned against Israel. So Jesus comes, the Redeemer, the Savior comes in glorious fashion, descends down on the Mount of Olives and defends Israel. In fact, those who have come against Israel there in Jerusalem will dissolve as they stand. You need to go to Zechariah chapter 14, verses 4 to 5. Then we have a number of prophecies all about what must happen in the nation of Israel during the millennial reign of Jesus Christ. All the nations will come and bow before the Lord. Matthew 24, 7, Philippians chapter 2, Psalm 22. Jesus and the believers reign over the whole earth for a thousand years. Jesus Christ reigns over Israel and he leads from Jerusalem. He has a new temple that is reconstructed there in Israel. So massive, it covers all three valleys of what is currently the the old city of Jerusalem. It's a temple unlike any other. In fact, you could fit all the other temples and the tabernacle the tabernacle inside of its of its area the outside court of the temple and it still has room left over that's how big this is populations start to increase the everlasting covenant goes out it says the remaining exiles of israel then return because the messiah is there jeremiah chapter 30 and 31 we see that in isaiah chapter 27 so as the king of israel he will gather them all together he beckons all the gentiles to return his people in isaiah chapter 49 and 60 Then national Israel is given this new covenant, as we see, with God, restored, wholly new, under the reign of Jesus Christ. Jeremiah 31, Ezekiel 34 and 37. Israel is God's people then, as he has declared, as he has promised, he has preserved them. They're cleansed from sin and impurity, as we see in Ezekiel 36 and Zechariah chapter 3. And there's finally peace in the land, even peace with wildlife. Oh, that is such a a wonderful thing to study in Isaiah chapter 2 and 11, even Isaiah 60 and 65. Jerusalem is secure, never again destroyed, according to Jeremiah 31 and Zechariah 14. The land around Israel is totally transformed, Zechariah 14. Jerusalem is raised up, Isaiah 2, Zechariah 14, Micah chapter 4. Rivers then flow from Jerusalem out from underneath the temple of Jesus Christ right to the Dead Sea and all the way to the Mediterranean Sea in Ezekiel 47 and Zechariah 14. The river changes the Dead Sea to fresh water with fish, as we see in Ezekiel 47, verses 8 to 10. There will be fruit trees of all kinds that line that river for food and healing, Ezekiel 47, verses 7 to 12. Jerusalem is fully rebuilt, Jeremiah chapter 30. The towns are inhabited, the ruins all rebuilt around the city, all throughout Israel, according to Ezekiel 36 through the rest of that chapter. The foreigners come to rebuild the walls even in Isaiah chapter 60. Trees and crops are all productive, almost likened to the Garden of Eden once again, according to Ezekiel 34 and chapter 36. Every man has a 
vine and a fig tree, according to Zechariah 3 and Micah chapter 4. The wealth of the nations is brought in, and even the people begin rebuilding vineyards, building homes, enjoying the labor of their hands in Isaiah 65 and Jeremiah 30. Then we find that life is extended. In fact, a person who's 100 years old will be considered a child in Isaiah chapter 65, verse 20. Mortals will still be on the earth during the reign of Jesus Christ. We've talked about that. But the Lord Jesus will be visible to them, and the immortals will be with him, i.e., the the bride of Christ that has come back with him. This is just scratching the surface. Nations all come from around the world now then to worship Jesus Christ at his third temple, according to Ezekiel chapter 40 to 48 and Micah chapter 4. All the peoples of the earth go to Israel, Isaiah chapter 60. The governing leaders of the nations will then care for the people of Israel, Isaiah chapter 49, and it just even... We even go up for the Feast of Tabernacles, according to Zechariah 14, all the nations to worship under the authority of Jesus Christ, seeing him visibly in his kingdom before all the nations during this thousand-year reign. Brothers and sisters, I haven't even scratched the surface. I told you there's at least a hundred. There's more than, than right here on my screen than I could possibly spend hours in the day to give to you. Again, if you'd like this information, this is a broadcast of Calvary Fellowship Fountain Valley Church. We'd be happy to send you all of the breakdown of these prophecies and more so that you can hold on to this knowing that God has a plan. He's going to see this through all the way to the end. God never breaks a single promise. So I hope that this broadcast and this whole series of the prophecies of Israel has been encouragement to you. To learn more about our ministry, go to calvaryfountain.com. And we love to worship with you on Sundays. At Sundays, we, we worship at 8 a.m. and 10 a.m., but we also worship throughout the week. We'd love to see you there. God bless you, my friends. Take care.